Hello and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, and this is another of our Designers and Makers series of Fireside Chats. With me today is Glenn Seal, best known as Monkey Blood, one of the uh, premier mappers, uh, creator of settings that I think we have in the OSR. I'm not just trying to blow smoke up your ass, Glenn. Uh, I, I, I own all your shit, so... <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. I, it, if 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 I do a little fanboy today, you just know why. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not sure I necessarily deserve fanboydom, but um, but thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you'd certainly deserve fandom, fanboydom, fandom. Well, yeah, fandom too. You enjoy having your own setting of fans, but yeah. you do some. I'm gonna get out of the way. You do some amazing shit that really is. Set in a new bar, I think, for you know, OSR settings or settings even beyond, because really your stuff is, although written for Swords and Wizardry, is almost system neutral. So there's no reason why you can't use it with 5e and Pathfinder. Yeah, I think I think if you you know if you can read an OSR stat block, um, you can pretty much use it for anything. Excellent. Well. As usual, uh, we're going to put you through the uh, the infamous five questions, and then we will uh, proceed with the sandbox and see where we go. Okay. All right. So, Glenn, tell us about your first RPG experience. What got you into the hobby? So, um, a friend of mine, uh, Jamie, when we were, I, I guess, 14, something like that, um, he had... Um, a circle of friends um, that one of them had an older brother and that older brother uh, got that little group into gaming, um, into D&D. And Jamie went and and played a game with them. He was um, sort of blown away by it, Uh, saw me probably the the following day and said, oh my God, you've, you've got to have a go at this. You know, so uh, probably the following day, um, I think he borrowed the books and we, we, we got uh, stuck into it. So my first um, encounter with it really was, was Red Box. And the adventure would have been the group adventure in, in, the, um, in the DM's book uh, with Bargle. And, and the carry-on crawler at the, at the, under the gate <laughs> which, which um i mean knowing knowing us back then I, I would have been probably the only character because we we just played he dm'd and i played and that that was kind of it right. for a while um before i got i got my uh, my friendship group into it as well and then you know everything opened up so yeah i can imagine that that carrion crawler <laughs> um put me through some paces I would imagine being the being the very first creature that I encountered with eight attacks and, and paralysis was. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised they even put that in there as your first adversary. What happened to to putting kobolds first? Yeah, my first encounter was skeletons. I think uh, my my friend. Uh, I, I'm assuming he wrote the adventure himself, but he only had the DM's guide. So uh, after my first session, we had to call a friend, we had to play his handbook to find out if, if I leveled or not. And of course you leveled because when you're in your, you know, I don't know, junior high school, you're you giving away experience. Yeah, you're giving away magic items and experience points like they're going out of style. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, probably straight after that, he'd got um, In Search of the Unknown, B1. And we played that. And I, I just remember the pool room. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to try a sip of everything. <laughs> Which, uh, not the wisest move. But um, Probably not. But you've got to do it anyway, right? Because no, no, no risk, you, no gain. You don't know till you try. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's something that people forget, too. B1, B2... These weren't just one-and-done adventure modules. There was a mm. lot of potential in those two. They were reusable. They weren't just uh, a single setting, uh, a single session. Yeah, and I think back in in 
those days, you know, when, when you were young, um, it, it was a it was a place that you ended up owning after you'd cleared it out as well. So you got the maps and, and it was then yours and you could kind of um, write about what traps you were going to put in places and, and um, you know, to stop other people coming along and taking it over. So, uh, yeah, I remember owning owning a multitude of properties um, throughout the uh, the realms. <laughs> well, yeah, m and, my my players took over the Wild Coast in uh, Greyhawk when they reached yeah. name level. I had to make up a match. I had to make up a match combat system for that one. All oh, right, okay, the ba battle system. Oh, I wasn't was using battle. Bit, yeah, yeah. Oh God, no! I this, my my group was not going to have a lot of fun moving around square counters on a table to play it out. Well, talking about uh, like giving out magic items and stuff willy nilly. Um, I, I had two notable characters. I played two at the same time. Uh, Elkrand the Elusive and Kildrellan. So Elkrand the Elusive was a fighter, magic user, something. Uh, and I'm talking... We, we kind of switched into Advanced Dungeons and Dragons at that point, uh, first edition. And he was, he was like my main character, my, my campaign guy, you know. Right. We, we bought the, uh, the first edition Lankmar setting book with the map of the city. Oh, I love uh, that one. Yeah, and, and we, we played in Nair 1, specifically Lankmar, using that map for, for sessions and sessions. And my characters got high enough level that we wanted to take over the city and, and, and get an army and, uh, and own it and throw the Overlord out. Um, so my friend ran this um, session where we fought to take control of the city using totally made-up rules, I would imagine, at the time. Um, I don't think he'd got battle system, but we, we were kind of dabbling with a little bit of Warhammer fantasy in its very early stages then. So we probably just cobbled some rules from whatever was going and, and used that. But yeah, very memorable. And and also, that was probably like one of the, the things that really got me interested in, in city settings and, and you know, that and, and things like Waterdeep, you know, I love, love that kind of stuff. Waterdeep, uh, Seas World, uh, mm. Pavis and Big Rubble as box sets for the early RuneQuest. Mm. I mean, yeah. uh, city settings yeah. run a lot differently than Wilderness, that where you, you got your plot points where people are going to dungeons or whatever. There's mm. a lot more. Uh, there's a lot of character Political. interaction and, and character hooks, interaction but... and politics and hooks and so much that can be going on mm. that um, it, it, just so much potential. But I think that and, we're going to be hitting that more later on in the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, just, we, got just, to, we got something to talk about later, I think. Uh oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, something else that that always sticks in my mind about my my very early days of gaming was um, it was a module called the gem and the staff and it was a one-on-one -on -one thief module level eight okay. thief module um, and because my main character Alcran the elusive was a was a thief that so made, made sense to play it but it came with a separate map book um, which you could place the figures on um, okay. so the rooms were all all drawn out uh, and, and that I love that I, I remember the the first adventure, it's two adventures, I think, and you have to go and get these artifacts. But the first adventure is you see a man walking across a drawbridge, but just before he walks, he holds up this amulet uh, as he walks across and then puts it back in his pocket when he gets to the other side, gets on his cart. And the amulet is something that stops a, a hydra that's in the moat from, oh, from coming up and attacking people. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all these these ridiculously overpowered monsters at the starts of adventures to to make you think twice about what you what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> well, that def definitely rings true in the OSR, that's for sure. 
right. Well, hey, let's, let's let's move on to our our next question. What's your go to RPG these days? Um, currently, Swords and Wizardry complete. We have started very recently playing um, Coriolis uh, by Modiphius. Oh, okay, which, which is Arabian Nights in in space. It's a D six pool system kind of game, but the setting is what made it stand out for me. It's it's got this glorious Middle Eastern sci fi vibe, you know, hookah pipes and and uh Moss Eisley esque um vistas. Um oh, that's pretty so, cool. Yeah, I I I DM'd we had um a day where all of our friends got together and we were pottering about. Um, and I said, I'll, I'll run a one-shot adventure for you, but I'm not going to tell you what the system is. <clears throat> and so I had Coriolis and I thought, right, I'll do, I'll do this just to surprise them. It's a little bit different and we'll see how it goes. So I ran a session for them and they were like, okay, wow, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, and another friend of mine, he, he DMs that now. So in between my Midlands campaign, uh, I've got a friend who runs his own Midlands campaign, which I'm a player in, which is interesting. And oh, yeah. then uh, we've got a Coriolis campaign. So there's three things going on at the moment when, when we get time to to find uh, at the weekends and play. That's very cool. I, I mentioned recently too, I mean, to me, I, I hadn't gotten a chance to play as a player in over a year and a half. And all of a sudden I'm in... Uh, uh, two campaigns, thanks to Tim Shorts and Gene Spahn. And yeah. it's it's a lot of fun to be able to... It, I'm traditionally the DM, so it's a lot of fun to be able to be on the other side of the screen. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's certainly a lot more pressure on you as a DM in terms of time. Um, I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes I feel a bit of pressure before a game because I want people to enjoy it and I kind of what I don't necessarily want them to do is is go off at tangents if I can help it because I've prepped to a point right. and I'm comfortable with the prep, but as soon as they, they go off, then I'm like, okay, now I'm totally winging the next three hours, which basically happened in my last Midland session. <laughs> the first NPC they went up to totally fucked it up and, and I'm like, okay, right. Now I need to put my poker face on, like I was expecting this, and right. now totally make everything up on the fly. So yeah, there's there's that level of <laughs> of um, uh, let's let's hope this goes okay. <laughs> well, you know, my my last games that I've been GMing have been at cons, and I, I get a little bit of a GM anxiety ahead of the games, but it's like mm. I want these guys to have fun, Ooh, guys and gals. Mm. And they never follow what you would expect. So I, I actually enjoy I actually enjoy the improv that I have to throw out there because mm. it usually plays better than anything that was planned in the adventure that was going to be run. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think for me the only the only risks when when that happens to me is slowing the game down because I haven't got information prepared. I've got to look up some stats or something like rather than you know um uh, i mean most of the time if it's low levelish stuff you know i don't i don't worry too much i can just i can wing it you, you yeah. don't need hit points you can you can even just say okay you've hit him but he's still there uh, okay you've hit him again he's still there okay yeah no yeah okay yeah, you've hit yeah. him down you know so um yeah you don't necessarily have to be have to be rigid and I, and i think you you just judge it where it's about right and but when it when it gets high level uh, especially in things oh. like pathfinder you know oh jeez I, I i don't even i couldn't even contemplate uh winging uh, <laughs> no i, I, I can't even contemplate running pathfinder the amount of rules that are involved in that so yeah my group used to be really big into th- I mean, my, my kind of evolution was was D and D Red Box, first edition, second edition, third edition, fourth edition. Then it's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm not bothered about this. Um, I've got fifth edition, never played it, but after fourth edition, we switched to to Pathfinder, 
Um, so I've had a lot of experience of 3.5 and Pathfinder, but I, I think when, when I discovered the OSR, I then realized that I didn't have to keep following the evolution of the D&D game anymore. And I, and I, I kind of hadn't necessarily realized that. That's a pretty uh, interesting take on it. Yeah, you've got a point there. For me, I played straight up until 2E skills and powers, which I continue to be like 2.5. And then because of change in my employment, which gave me Wednesday, Thursday as my weekends, and working 5.30 at night to 2 o'clock in the morning meant that there was really no gaming on the weekend. Mm. Uh, I... 3.5, 3, 3. even 4E, were game systems that I owned and read, mostly for the support material, you know, uh, whatever, the Forgotten Realm stuff that was interesting, some of the major source books. Mm. But I never actually got a chance to play until I found uh, virtual tabletops and came back to gaming, mostly through, uh, at the time, uh, Fantasy Grounds and... Uh, my, my my game back was Dark Heresy, and then I was playing Castles oh, wow. and Crusades. Yeah, because yeah, Dark Dark Heresy has that got a second edition or something now? Because I, I think I had the first edition. It's sort of Warhammer Inquisitor, forty yeah. k. Yeah, yeah, and and, it, and I had run you know Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay back when it came out. Loved it. So mm. it, as a player coming back and having you know Dark Heresy be my return. It, it was a system that I, I didn't have to relearn very much. I, I still understood the system. I understood the core of it. And then yeah. Castles of Crusades was uh, my eye-opening return to the OSR, basically, or, or finding the OSR. Mm. Yeah. So. I, I, I think um, because Google Plus really was, was how I found the OSR again. And I, I was posting on there uh, I, it was, um, figures. I used to paint a lot of, of miniatures. And I would post pictures on there. And I set up a Google Plus account. And I'm like, oh, this looks like an interesting place. I'll see what happens. And then as I started to discover more people um, in, into gaming and, and role-playing, I, I started to shift my my posts more towards gaming and, and maps and that that's pretty much then where monkey blood design really started and yeah when when you're creating something and showing people pictures and then they're interested and they want to know if you can do something for them then i mean that's 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 a huge uh it's a huge thing, and, and it, it just opened up from there. And then I started to get involved in all, all the um, the OSR groups, and thought, you know what, we my group can get back to this and um, and, and enjoy enjoy gaming again because it kind of died off when 4E came out. Oh, um, I'm sure. I mean, uh, and 4E had had issues beyond just the system. It had issues with the attempt at the VTT that was going to be monetized with the idea of mm. micro transactions and then that whole uh, uh, homicide fiasco that did it in. Mm. Yeah, the story behind that is a bizarre one. But uh, Yeah, is that, uh, uh, what, uh, I'm not sure what that, that was about. Is it Oh yeah, what happened? Yeah, the, uh, the the main programmer, I believe, uh, killed their spouse. Oh, um, Yeah, yeah, and it was already when they were having problems getting the VTT uh, to be really workable because the game plan, I believe, on the Wizards of the Coast side was that 4E was going to make its money through the microtransactions because you'd you'd be buying the miniatures, the yeah. virtual minis, and that was where they was. I think we're going to. Uh, expect to make a, a significant portion of their their income from 4E, and when that didn't mm-hmm. happen, they, uh, they they've never come back and said, "Hey, we're going to do a VTT." Oh, and one of the other fiascos with that is that the VTT 
had showed on like a demo, a video demo. Uh, it had like a 3D dice roller, but the 3D dice rolling that it showed was actually ripped right from Fantasy Grounds. <laughs> yeah, it nice. was. Uh, yeah, it's a, I really have to do some <laughs> digging and 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 uh, do an episode on that because that would be really interesting shit show i guess you could say mm. but yeah i mean there, there was some there was some good good stuff in in 4e um i don't, I don't want to bash it too much it, it was it's part of the process i guess um in in evolving the game but uh yeah i mean we we played quite a few sessions of it but i think the the thing why my players fell out of love with it was uh just the very chess-like um encounters it just seemed like you were moving and then moving back uh, yeah so we we kind of just you know we needed to get back to theater of the mind and, and the osr right did did that in in spades yeah i'm i'm huge on theater of the mind mm. even when i roll on on roll 20 i'll, I'll mm. use I, i'll use fog of war but i don't use tokens uh i, I i'm very lightweight on my vtt use when i when i use them and uh, yeah. A couple of years ago, Roll Roll Twenty wanted to uh, have me uh, DM a session and have it recorded, you know, so they could put it up. And I was like, "Listen, you need to understand that, except for Fog of War and a dice roller, there's probably very little that I use. Yeah. I wasn't even using. I, I mean, now I use handouts and stuff, but mm. uh, I wasn't even using handouts. So I go, you, you're going to be really disappointed in in this, the final. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> the final I, video. I, yeah, I, I, I watch um, Matt Finch's uh, Swords of Jordoba, and uh, well, that's when, awesome, when I get yeah. a chance. Yeah, and and that's very theatre of the mind. I know you've got the the kind of miniature cam as well, so you kind right. of see a bit about what's going on. But but you can you can get most. I, I I tend to watch it less than I listen to it, so I I can kind of figure out most of what's going on just just by Matt's narration. Matt's an amazing GM. I, I, mm. my, my first uh, North Texas region I uh, played in his Swords and Wizardry game, uh, Mrs. Tower, and he can run with two dozen people at the table. At the table, <laughs> he was he was running, and he, and he stands on the table so you can focus on him. <laughs> and it's a, a sight to see that. And I mean, I I feel that. You know, I'm like, wow, like, I thought I was impressed with that. Like, my max is about a dozen players that can go as, as high as a dozen and, and keep it all juggled and, and, and moving, at least face-to-face, not online. Hmm. But uh, uh, to see Matt roll with like 24, 25 players, I was like, oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where you'd start with that. I struggle with five, and that, that's, my, <laughs> that's my max, max you know. Yeah. Uh, that my my blood pressure can only handle five, I think. <laughs> Especially when they're going off piste, and then I oh shit, no, no what am I going to hang like, on? I just need some more blood pressure tablets. I'll come back in a second. <laughs> see, like when I run, when I run at conventions, it's usually you know it's a table of eight, but I don't turn you know if somebody's walking up or they mention to me like, hey, uh, is there any openings at your table? I was like, well, as long as you can find a seat, you need to steal one. Sure. So I've I've run with as many as as, as a dozen, and but I think that that a dozen is about as far as I can go. And they, when I'm DMing like face, what, what system is that? Oh, well, Swords and Wizardry Light usually. Have oh, okay. So, okay. So yeah. I don't even need to like hold the rules in my hand, and and improv is just putting down hit points on a page. Yeah. But uh, I can I can keep it going. I was running six Swords of Wizardry complete and high level characters, probably eight to ten. Uh, but like I said I I don't I don't sit when I when I GM face to face. So so you know uh, move around and and, and focus yeah. on people. I just I just I'm trying to imagine a a, a combat with <laughs> with, with, with 20, twenty people in it. And uh, well, one of Matt's secrets is, uh, you know, it's group initiative, and then when the group is rolling, it's by decks, high decks to low decks, and he seats people in decks order. Okay. 
so you don't have yourself wandering around like you're not going from position one to position 15 back to position four in seating order you're yeah. going from one two three all the way down so does he get them to sit around the table in dexterity order because that yes. would make it even oh, no, right that's, that's yeah, what he yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, and and you generally have at least one caller. I think when we had twenty-four, we kind of broke down to like one caller for each side of the of the tables. Like they have like five tables in a U. So, because uh, mm. you always you always know in a Max Finch game, they'll be running with a lot of people. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Oh, it's it's it's. Him and uh, Bill Webb, and they can both run with very large groups. It's interesting mm. to watch. I've, I've seen All pictures right. at, at cons where they're they're on the. Oh table. yeah, oh <laughs> yeah, and I, I I've seen Bill run with at least two dozen, if not more. So and and wow. and 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 Bill is fine with killing off PCs. Just expect that. Maybe not a TPK, but. Well, I guess if if twenty four is too many, and you and you're thinking, yeah, oh, this, you know, this is too many, right? Okay, you ten, right. you ten, you ten, <laughs> take ten, roll up new characters, and we find the rest of us are moving on. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, listen, you, you started with Redbox, so yes, I'm going to ask you where you stand on racist class. Okay, now. I think I get confused with this because racist class. Well, now, well, yeah, is the racist class or race class, which, well, which I ra- think is probably different. Well, racist because in Redbox, you could be a fighter, you could be a cleric, yeah. right? you could be a magic user, or you could be a dwarf, you could right, be an okay. elf. So like you all, so basically all dwarves were fighters. There was no other option. All yes. elves were fighter magic users. There was no other option. All halflings were pretty shitty fighters that were limited to a very little level. Yeah, I was thinking of like with with. Um, oh, well, I'm guessing O D and D is basically the same. You know, where you've got fighting men and you've got right. you know wizards and and you've got elves. Um, I mean, th- that to me doesn't make a massive amount of sense but but if you've got a a class uh, sorry if you've got a race such as an elf who who is say a ranger hey folks we had a little technical difficulty our bot crashed so we uh well our quasi crashed it it couldn't hear us for a few minutes so we were talking it was a great talk uh, we will retalk it again. Uh, I'll, try re- I'll try and remember what I was waffling. Eh, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure it'll come out fine, but we just wanted to let you all know why it's going to be like, why did they cut off in mid-word and suddenly come back? But, uh, <laughs> uh, technology sucks sometimes. So we're going to start with uh, the question of save or die. Yeah. Save or die. And as, as you were... Uh, was it you know save versus hit points is what you were saying? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean save just to kind of um, say what I was talking about previously. Um, I find save or die in in campaign play to be a bit cruel, and uh, I prefer an option which is save or zero hit points. So you know you make your saving throw, you fail, rather than die, you're on zero hit points, and you're and you're bleeding out uh, down to minus your constitution. Um, so and then basically, you're you at death door. Yeah, yeah. So if if you're in a party, it at least gives the party a chance to do something about it and intervene, um, because you know it's it's about party play rather than, um, you know, I, what what I tend to find is if if somebody dies in mid play, you know, you've all got to uproot and then go back to the town and then, you know, get rid of all your gold and, and raise them and then they've aged ten years or I don't, you know whatever. Um, and it it just um, it kind of cuts that immersion, you know, when when you're kind of in the thick of it and uh, at least it 
it kind of helps with tension because as soon as somebody's down, you know, you're one man down, you need to get them back up again. And um, I, I just think that that works better in campaign play. I think for one shots, you know, leave it leave it till the end, boss. Um, if your character, if your players aren't necessarily invested in your characters and they don't want to use them again, then um, you know, uh, save or die is fine as it is. But uh, yeah, I find in campaign play, it can be a little bit bit of a harsh mistress. Yeah, and then, uh, firstly, save or die traps. I, I don't like the randomly placed in the hallway, the poison trap that's going to kill the PC. Um, yeah, advertising. Like, yo, know, when, when they're at the big MacGuffin, when they when they got that huge chest with the engraving on it, that they know it has something good in it. They should understand that there's probably going to be a large risk involved and taking mm. acceptable precautions. Uh, but to just have it as a as a random event, uh, I think is beyond harsh. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think in campaign play, if, if there is enough warning that that it is surrounded by deadly traps, absolutely deadly traps, then you know then you could argue it's the player's own fault. But, I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had a complete campaign stop because of a failed poison save. And um, <clears throat> that was City of the Spider Queen, which is a Forgotten Realms module. Um, the, there's a huge chasm filled with webs, and there's this massive spider in it. And they're, they're trying to get across the chasm. And one player was... Uh, uh, an Azamar, maybe something like that. Well, you know, one of these fancy uh, winged angel angel type races, and he'd got a ring of free action, so he wouldn't get caught in the webs as he was flying about. But the spider bit him, and he failed his saving throw, which was save or die. And then he just plummeted, and the webs wouldn't stop him because he's got this ring on. <laughs> And uh, and that chasm was also bottomless, so um, it said basically anybody falling down the cavern, you know, that you you won't find them. Um, yeah, so that's, and, that's beyond save or die. That's uh, save yeah, or, was, or, or irrecoverable uh, death. Yeah, so so that was actually a, it was a combination of things. I mean, what 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 really didn't help was the ring of free action because otherwise the web sort of stopped him, but. Um, the the characters were quite high level for that module. I think it was like eleventh something, and they played them from from low level. So for him to die at, at that point, and and there really not be a massive amount that that I could, I guess I could have done something about it, but it would have been very staged. Um, that 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 put set the player back a little bit, I think, and and then they started to lose a bit of interest and. Um, him, him specifically, because he he really liked that character, and I think that's the thing. If you if you're doing campaign play and you're invested in in or your players are invested in the characters, then you need to be very careful with things like that, because you can you can you can ruin the experience for everybody, and you can actually stop your game. Yeah, I've I tend to prefer things that do damage even if it's an, a potentially a large amount of damage hmm. over just pure save or die so at least there's a chance built into the randomness that even if you fail that save uh, you still might survive whereas yeah. it's all on just one roll i think that uh, yeah i mean if you've taken damage you can at least be healed hit points back whereas if you if it's die i mean that's yeah dead. it's like well i guess you went right <laughs> down to uh the AD and D negative ten and beyond, right? You know. Yeah, uh, yeah we use minus con, so that it gives pe- people who are a little bit hardier uh, a little bit of extra extra time. So you your wizards and stuff, they don't necessarily get <laughs> a min- they're down to minus eight or something. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually use uh, minus level plus con. Ah uh, right, so, okay, yeah. So as they get as they get higher in level, their ability to uh, be gritty and hang on longer uh, increases. Yeah, in a, in a heroic fashion. Yeah. Fitting their level. 
All right. Well, yeah, let's let's jump on to uh, the last of our hmm. preordained questions. Uh, you got into gaming with Redbox in your, what, your teenage years, I guess? I, about 85, I think it was, yeah. Okay. What would that teenage you, the one that came out and, and found gaming through the Redbox, think? They could see what you would be doing now in the hobby, what you would have accomplished in the, so far. Yeah, I, I think it's, it is a difficult question to answer. But yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd have been really happy to be involved in doing something that I really enjoyed as, as, as a career. And um, it's, it's actually been my career since uh, October 2017. Uh, so I've been doing this for about a year and a half now, full time. So to to have that opportunity I think I would be I would be pretty happy with that. As indeed I am now pretty happy with that. <laughs> so yeah, it's um it, you know it's it's hard work. Um you know I don't I don't tend to stop often. Um but when it's doing something that you really enjoy uh, it doesn't it doesn't always feel like I'm working uh whereas you know, I, I I was in the security industry for 29 years prior to that, and um, that was very stressful. And uh, you know, every day felt like a huge, huge effort. And um, I was kind of I'm glad, in a way, to turn my back on that. I, I miss all the all the people that I work with, um, you know, and, and and I had a lot of fun. But I'm I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and I love now, so. Uh, the the young me must would would be pretty happy with that, I would think. I I would expect so, and I can understand completely the uh, the idea that you you miss your coworkers, you miss the friends that you make, hmm. and, the, and the conversations that would go on, and some of the craziness. But <laughs> yeah. you don't you don't miss the job itself, and I can yeah. say the same. I I I, I well I I there's a saying that. Law enforcement gives you the uh, tickets to the greatest show on because you see the people at their best and their worst. But mm. I'm very happy to see that from a distance now. I, yeah, I, I miss the people. I, I had some. I made some great contacts. I had some great conversations. And but uh, I, I have I have no regrets that I I'm no longer mm. uh, knee deep in that shit. Yeah, yeah, and and exactly that. You know, I, I still keep in touch with them. Um, with the guys and, and and I do little bits of work subcontract for them here and there. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it became very, very stressful. Uh, it was quite high pressured and um, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, I, I'm a, a lot of, a lot of uh, the people I work with, they, they kind of knew I'd, I'd started doing monkey blood design probably it was like five years or something now. And they kind of knew that when I left work, I was going and doing all these things and sometimes I'd bring stuff in in the morning that I'd drawn and, and say, Oh, what do you think of that? And I'd be like, Oh man, you know, they're really enthusiastic about it and, uh, and really, really supportive of it. You know, when I decided to, to, to uh, sort of step away, away from it and get into doing it full time. And, uh, yeah, like I say, it's, uh, it's hard work, you know, and, and it only works because, I split my time between commissions and um, my own projects and, and my own publications. What, what was the, uh, the what was the door open for? What got you to that? Uh, you're saying what, what? What was the one thing that got you to this point that allowed you to step away and say, "I can do this"? Was uh, was it the middle end? Yeah, I. I, I I ran the Midlands while I was still doing the day job full time. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know whether I'd recommend necessarily doing that again. My, my first two Kickstarters, so the Midlands and the Midlands expanded, were, were nail biting roller coaster rides. And um, that, that running a Kickstarter campaign, anybody who's ever done it, um, 
if you're a small publisher, so you know you're you're the ultimate person with the responsibility. It it's it's quite um it's quite a lot of build up, quite a lot of pressure to to try and see if you can get it to fund because you would have already had an outlay and investment into it. And um, yeah, I think I think the Kickstarter was the was the point where I realised that actually I, you know, with residual book sales afterwards, combined with the options of running more Kickstarters and combined with the commission work that I'm doing, and you know uh, that the momentum that was starting to build up, I thought that it, it, I think I can probably pay the bills with this. Um, and uh, and I've done so every month since. So, the, but but it required quite a significant uh, kind of strategy almost to try try and get it to there. You know, you can't. I think anybody that just thinks, oh, I, I like writing adventures and and I want to do that full time, right? I'm just going to jack the job in and see how it goes. Yeah, don't do that because. <laughs> <laughs> Because that that would be uh, that would be foolish. You you need to be putting the effort in and making half of what you need at least before you think about that. On uh, making half of that on the side. Oh, definitely. That, I mean, I I couldn't be as invested in doing what I'm I'm doing with all things related to the tavern, except for the fact that I have a pension that supports me behind this. Hmm. Yeah, it, it it certainly isn't profitable to uh, the point I can make a car payment monthly, let alone you know support myself and my wife. Hmm. But I, I am grateful I have the opportunity to put the time into it that I have because uh, of a pension. This, uh, and I and I whenever I see somebody who can take that step and turn their passion into their their occupation, their job. I, I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah, I, and I, there, there were a number of drivers as well that that were forcing me to to take those decisions, and 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 motivate me more important to to make this work. And you have to, you you have to have a huge you know set of motivations to to do it and continue to do it and um and and drive you forward because you know try, trying to find out how you're going to pay all of your bills and your mortgage this month is is a pressure of its own as well as you know having to create all the content and and manage your social media and, and all that kind of thing it's 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 a huge amount of time i mean i i, I consider that i'm not necessarily spending a massive amount of time managing social media and engaging you know as as much as i probably should but if i did that i wouldn't have the time to create and the, there's a balance between um you know spending your time engaging the audience and creating the stuff that's going to get their juices flowing and, and get them gaming so uh, yeah it's um it's a bit of a fine line. Plus, you know, I'm kind of you doing all your own admin and paperwork, and so yeah, there's uh, and then commission work as well. So yeah, it's it's full on, full on. But I I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm, I consider myself privileged to be in the position that I'm in. Well, not only that too, but your your occupation now is seven days a week without a set schedule. Uh, Correct. Yeah. You know it. it, it it requires you, if you take downtime, total, if you take a total day off, that's a total day off where it isn't getting done hmm. on on your projects. I, and I, I can I can understand that. I I I've po- I've you know blogged daily for over five years without missing yeah. a post, and before that my stretch I think was uh, two and a half years before that. So. I've missed one day of posting in like eight years. And and like I, if I think about that and I think, right, in order to engage, you know, monkey blood fans and, 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 and people that haven't found me yet, if I did a blog post a day, that, that would 
trying to come up with things to write and do a bit of research and some nice pictures to chuck in there and stuff. That's half of my day gone every day. I, I, I just I, I couldn't that. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So uh, I, I can understand why people end up having social media uh, people <laughs> because um, yeah, if I if if I had more commissions and was selling more books, I'd I'd certainly be considering it. <laughs> And, and Kickstarter campaigns as well. They could run those because, um, yeah, they take a significant amount of effort for, for a month to, to kind of keep things going and creating content for updates, and, as well as working on the project as well, you know, to make oh, sure that right, it's, yeah. it's, it's not far away. And it's, and it's funny because eh, I've had two offers um, over the last two years by people in, 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 in our corner of the universe to uh, either run their social media or uh, manage their Kickstarters. And in either case, uh, it was like the time I would have to spend on somebody else's work mm. as opposed to keeping my own you know, community going. Yeah. What wasn't – the investment's huge. What you got to put into a Kickstarter is, is – huge if you're going to do it well if you're going to mm. you know do it like a lazy ass you can just look at ken whitman and just put up a few uh you know pictures put up some fine words make some promises and walk away but if you're going to do it right it is uh, uh basically a full-time job in, in and of itself yeah yeah i mean when when i know that i'm doing a campaign well certainly now the first one i was a little bit green and um and i was working full-time so I, I, I felt a lot of pressure from that first campaign, especially because it, it started off really well and uh, sort of trundled along in the, in the mid-campaign. And I was thinking, there's no way this will fund. And I, I, I look at the kind of graph now, because I'm a bit of a data um, <sighs> like well i was gonna say guru is totally the wrong word a data junkie and i right. like to i like to compare data between things just to see how things perform so i've got kind of ks1 ks2 and ks3 stats and i, I can see you know and i remember looking at the, at the graph thinking there's no way that's going to ramp up that much to to fund and and it did uh, and i was absolutely amazed that, that it, it got as much support as, as it did. And, and coming back to what we were talking about earlier, that was, that was a point where I thought, you know what? People, people must like this. And this technically could be something that starts to, to look like a, a, a full-time thing. And, um, yeah, uh, and and from there the the second campaign pretty much did the same sort of thing. You know, it kind of really ramped up at the end. And uh, but but this campaign uh, that I'm running at the moment that's different. That that's that fun, funded uh, in advance of the the, the previous two, and it, and its first day and a half of funding was like over double what the other the other two were. So yeah, it's. Um, yeah, you you kind of I've I've learned some things about how to to build the campaigns and market them a little bit better. So well, I think I think that helps, and that the any helps. that helped as well. <laughs> well, the any doesn't hurt at all, but you've done it successfully already. You put out and your your the quality is amazing. You know, you. these are books that are constantly on the shelf by my desk. Just so I can ooh and ah over them, but uh, you've also you're also offering something that is rarely offered. Um, you're offering a city setting now on your latest mm. Kickstarter, right? From somebody who shows that they understand not only how to produce a setting setting material, but puts out extremely high quality setting material, well written, uh, amazing amazing art, maps are top notch. So the expectations are already high because of your track record. So, you, you know, you, you There's have... There's no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. But, uh, <laughs> but and any pressure that you have is because of the work that you've done prior has shown people what their expectations should be. 
you do some amazing work. I'm not again, like I said earlier, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but it's uh, some of the best maps I've ever seen are are your maps. Oh, and you. uh, the Midlands was a pleasure to read. I, mean, I have an issue uh, where, for the most part, when it comes to RPG books, I don't read them, you know, front to back. I kind of flip through them. You know, I just, I, I, my my attention span for anything that is longer than I don't know forty pages is just horrible mm. these days. But I read through front to back because it was so approachable, so engaging. Yeah, I've had so, a, a lot of people have said that you know, forgetting that it's a setting for for a game, it's actually a thoroughly entertaining read. Yes. and and uh, kind of. Uh, um, I mean, I'm I'm not actually a big reader. I've, I've I've read some some novels and things, but sometimes I find them a little bit hard going because because they're kind of not necessarily entertaining enough. They don't engage me enough, and right. I I kind of write how I how I want to read. I think is is, is the way that it's done. You know, by by putting little sort of humorous things in. You know, just to to kind of keep that. Uh, keep that interest and, and you know, may, maybe raise a smile or a, or a giggle. Well, you do extremely well with it, and I think that's why you're seeing such success with your Kickstarter. But now, yeah, what, what, um, made, what, what, what made you think about doing a city setting, let alone a city based on old London, I guess? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, a, a complete setting... Um, ensemble is is kind of a small area that's quite well detailed a larger area that can kind of go and explore and, and get a wider range um the the midlands expanded was created so that I could have some coastline and and introduce you know sea creatures and threats from from other countries and things um but also a, a detailed city setting and then you know a, a mega dungeon you know, and if you've got all of those in one setting, that's that's you know you've got everything that you need for years and years of gaming. Oh, so, God, yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm I'm not suggesting as yet that there's a mega dungeon in the in the offing. Um, it's something that I did uh, start to get involved in, but it kind of gave way to the to the city setting. Um, so it, it may be a future future project but yeah I, I i i love city settings as well uh, you know i kind of i think my my encounters with langmar and and uh water deep in in my gaming youth have have filtered through to the point where i i i, I knew what was going to be involved from a mapping perspective and i knew it was going to be considerable so that kind of held me off for a little while. <laughs> um, but then in the end, uh, I, I caved in and thought, right, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. So, yeah, all, all the maps for the, for the city are, are done, practically. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's happening. I, I would say I'm probably 15,000 words off, off finishing the text, uh, which, you know, probably within a couple of weeks I'll, I'll have, I'll have got, got that done. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 on on target and everything. So uh, it's it's good. But yeah, I love I love city settings. Um, just uh, for, first off, uh, Pex is uh, you know writing in the text channel that you lie about the no mega dungeon. I'm just gonna say, uh, <laughs> I, I I I suspect it's something that you have penciled in, but it's not in it's not done in ink yet. Um, but I, I I'd love to see it from you, man. You know what? I've I've got about three hundred different projects <laughs> um, rattling around in my head. So um, w one thing is uh, from the Midlands expanded. There's an area which is kind of like Scandinavia, but it's called the Serpent Lands. And I kind of I really want to do like a serpent-based setting for for that area. I've got Trollfang, which is some kind of one-off setting but I've, I've put hints in all of the midlands books to it so that's 
that's had a considerable amount of work already done to it. So that that could be the next thing that that surfaces. But also, I wanted to do some kind of post-apoc robot uh, future uh, game as well. But uh, that that's in the early stages. But yeah, the Midlands um, is is fantastic, and my heart's in it. But it'd be nice to do something slightly different as well for a project, and then come back to the Midlands, you know, with with renewed vigour. So, uh, I mean, I'm saying that now, you know, kind of in the thick of one. So, you know, once it's done and it's out the door, that that may well change, and I'll think, ah, it's time for another Midlands. So uh, yeah, who, who knows? I, I try not to plan it too much because uh, I, I like to just go where the wind takes me. No, oh, I got you. I, I'd find it interesting to see a post-apoc setting in the Midlands, but you know, four hundred years, thousand years in the future. Mm, so it's yeah. it's a it, it's a setting that you, that it's familiar, yet totally not familiar. You know? <laughs> Maybe less green. Yeah. Less green, uh, yeah. Orange. I guess uh, more orange. <laughs> that that horrible uh, fake gold color, you know. <laughs> Orangey red, like fire. I think. That yeah, could, that could be a good post-apoc robot robot uh, world. Very cool. uh, what am I going to call it? I don't know. I'll I'll have a think. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, I'm, I'm sad. I'm, I'm disappointed that we had a little technical difficulties today. And I joked with you prior that sometimes I have a problem getting the bot to leave. Well, apparently I didn't have a problem did, getting not it today. To down. Yeah. It's like, hey, you've been quiet for five minutes. But no, we haven't. Yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, it's it's my effect on on technical devices. I used to do it at work. Uh, somebody really? would, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I, yeah, the, the IT maybe used to like my me. sister. Uh, I'm like her. I'm like her IT support. That's why I just moved her to my old, uh, my old, my old Mac. I was like, listen, you got to get off Windows. I, I, I don't know it well enough to be your effective support, and Mac has so less issue. <laughs> but uh, no, dude, this was this was good, man. We got to do this again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, I shall uh, when when the the City of Great London gets to um, a workable document. Um, yeah, it's not not a million miles away now, but uh, some something to look at that's going to be representative of the final final product. I shall uh, I shall send you a sneak peek. See what, see what you think. Ooh. Well, that sounds awesome. I I, I never turn down sneak peeks, man, because uh, I, I find that the sneak peeks are such an insight into the process. I, uh, mm. Dirk Stanley. Dirk Stanley gave me a sneak peek of the uh, oh, far land. Yeah. Far land that he's uh, converting to OSR. Oh, using, right. oh, cool. uh, using swords and wizardry as his, uh, his as his base system, pretty much. And uh, I, I got, when I got the sneak peek, I was just like, "Oh my god! If this is where it's at now, I could only imagine what it's going to be when, when the final is ready." Mm. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, I love the artwork for that. It's just got a really great cartoon. Um, yeah, it's like, a, it's like it was Adventure vibe. Time. Yeah, yeah. It, feels a, it feels a little bit like Adventure Time, but uh, it, even the original system, it has such a, an old-school feel to it. Even though it's a simple basic D6 system, you can see mm. the, the influence that D&D had on it. It's, it's, I think it's awesome. It's, it's begging for... Uh, um, the people that make um, uh, Family Guy, uh, is, is it Seth, somebody or other? Oh, um, uh, yes, that's something. Like and that. the Simpsons to, to turn it into some kind of uh, animated uh, series. Oh, God. Uh, begging for that. Yeah, it can go straight to Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm already, since I'm already a Netflix subscriber anyway, I think it's a good idea. Mm. Yeah, I, I was on Netflix for, for a little while over here in the uk but uh, uh it's now tv now because uh, i can get uh, game of thrones um on now oh, tv nice. but through sky right. atlantic so but we get you get it before we do uh it's on it's on the sunday night i think for you guys and then we get it on the monday night so i have to stay oh. off social media 
all, all of that Monday. Yeah, yeah. So I don't get any. <laughs> yeah, I think we're like a week and a half out. It, it's been. It, it, it feels like the whole time of my retirement, I haven't been watching it. So it, it's strange mm. feeling. Yeah, it's about about a year and year and a half or something, yeah. isn't it? I think it's two two years almost. Mm. Yeah, I don't think they. Uh, I don't think it's aired seventeen. And it's only going to be, I don't know, six, eight episodes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but, I, but real long episodes. Yeah, no, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of uh, beer and popcorn. I'm sure I'll just be like, shove more popcorn in my mouth, shove more beer, wash it down. Yeah, so oh, me and my girlfriend are really stuff. into it, so we're, we're, we're totally psyched for that. So, uh, yeah, the, and the Kickstarter ends on the Sunday, so hopefully we'll be like, yeah, woo And then, yeah, Game of Thrones on the Monday, so, you know. Yeah, when, it, when, when Game of Thrones first came out, I uh, uh, possibly didn't actually have HBO, so it might have been that I was watching on my computer. And it's not a lot of space in front of my desk, but we would fit two seats in front of it, and me and my wife would watch it. And we did that for about half a season before. I was like, you know what? We just need to get cable. I had, you know, I had cable for the internet, but I didn't. Have, I didn't have it for the TV. She's like, we just need cable. I was like, you know what? That's <laughs> yeah. and, and it's funny because HBO was like, yeah, we know what. There's a, a large part of our audience doesn't subscribe. We're okay with that because we know we are converting future subscribers. Mm, yeah. And and they did. Uh, honest to God, they did. So, so I haven't turned on HBO. I think in the last like six months. So I subscribe for mm. one show. Yep. Well, yeah, I'm on Now TV for just one show. Um, but my partner used to watch Walking Dead. But, um, yeah, there's only, only so many zombies you can see stabbed in the head um, before you kind of, yeah, switch off. Yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> gave up on a Walking Dead after uh, God, four and a half seasons, five seasons. I forget. Where. It, it, it became the whole... It, it's like, wow, it's totally different, but totally the same every episode. Yeah, yeah. You know, there wasn't enough to uh, uh, to keep it going for me. So. Yeah, I think we, we got to the same point and just thought, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's just watching, it's like watching the same episodes over and over. Yeah. But, uh, so... Uh, can can I can I do a plug for my my Kickstarter just to tell people where to find it? Of course you can, and I will include links in the show notes to awesome. Kickstarter, your webpage, your RPG Now's page, all of it. Oh, excellent! Uh, so yeah, if you if you go to Kickstarter, um, you can just go straight in the search bar and type London, uh, but it's not spelt. Uh, as you would expect, because this is the Midlands. Uh, so it's L-U-N-D-E-N. Uh, if you hit that search, and it should pop up probably right at the top, uh, the city of Great London. Uh, it's currently, uh, it was, funding goal was 12,000. It's at 12,413. And then there's stretch goals every extra 500 uh, pounds. Uh, so uh, all the way up to 15,000 so uh, there's seven days to go. So we're in the last week, and uh, I'm optimistic uh, that uh, most, if not all, of those stretch goals might might fall um, if we have the same kind of ramp up that that we see uh, from the previous two campaigns. So yeah, it's it's really exciting. At, at the uh, end, Kickstarter usually has that big ramp up in the last two and a half three days. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 it, it ramps up in the beginning. And then it has this low trough, and then it ramps up again at the end. I think a lot of people, you know, they 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 go, they follow the Kickstarter and they go, I really like that. Let let, let me see if I'm still interested near the end. And then some people might forget, but other people go, Oh my god, I almost forgot to support this, and they start hitting it. Yeah, and and the the Kickstarter campaign page for or the dashboard gives you some interesting information, so <clears throat> you can see how many. The, the quantity of people following the, the campaign. Right. And you can also see how many people that were following it have then pledged. So you get a conversion rate. Oh, nice. And, and I think my previous two campaigns were about 30% conversion, which is, I, I believe that's, that's pretty good. Um, and uh, currently we're on about 14% at the moment with the city of Great London. So if that goes up to the average that the other two have gone up to, that's, 
like probably another 65 backers or so, which would would push it up to the past the stretch goals. But um, yeah, I never like to to kind of predict these things. But no, uh, you know, um, it, it it's it looks like it's it's going to fund and it should fund strongly, I think, into the stretch goals. So uh, yeah, I'm re- really excited to to kind of get get it start you know laid out and um get the guys that are going to be writing their adventures uh done and uh yeah it's uh yeah exciting good times man good times well thank you for spending the time in uh your afternoon uh, uh, no thank thank you for having me no, i really appreciate it i know dude it's 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 all me man it's like i'm the one that's really thankful because it, I I don't have a large number of like gaming heroes. I don't fawn over like you know you know Frank Metzner or Tim Cast. Well, I, uh, I I I did have uh, the Jeff Grubb uh, moment of stumbling over my tongue when he told <laughs> yeah, me I, he, I, I he read that. my blog. Ah, <clears throat> <laughs> oh, you're but, Eric Tenker. <laughs> oh, you're Eric Tenker. I, I read your blog uh, almost daily. I did, 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 and then the elevator did. That was, uh, but no, you you're one of the. the the people in, in in our community that I really respect and in, and oh, thanks, thanks sir. Well, I really appreciate that. All right. Well, on, on that note, folks, uh, we survived our technical difficulties. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, as I said, I'm going to have links to Glenn's uh, stuff in the show notes. Please give them give them a click. Give them a give them a look. It's well worth your time. And uh, again, much thanks to Glenn for uh, taking time out to uh, to yap with me. I felt, I felt like I'm already at my pub. I had a good, it was, it was one of those nice, relaxing conversations. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to do um, do another one at some point where you you get some beer and I'll buy some beer and we'll do kind of like a like virtual dating, but but not dating. No, no, it's like, it's that, like you know, it's like the the man bro hugs, you know. But, yeah. but, well, one no, one day no, no. I shall I shall come over to uh, these uh, these conventions that all you guys spend your time at and uh, and hopefully meet meet you and. Uh, and a lot of the other other people like Jeff Tulanian and you know uh, and all the guys in person <laughs> shake everybody's yeah. hand. Well, I, I'm gonna, you know, I I love all three of the main OSR con, uh, Game Hall, Gary Con, and North Texas. Uh, but N- North Texas, if, if, if they're all tens, North Texas, it's just uh, this it keeps the size to under 500, but with the same mm-hmm. number of special guests as the other cons. So you do yeah. stumble into people, and you can talk to pretty much anybody you want to. Whereas, you know, at Gary Con, there's there's almost like an entourage. You have to like Ernie, when Ernie Gygax comes through, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, there's no way you you're even going to get to make eye contact with the gentleman, whether let alone say a few <laughs> words. Uh, North Texas, you you don't get a chance to talk to people like Ernie. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'd, I'd love to see you come over, man. I really would. Yeah, one one day. Um, yeah, I just got to sell some more books. <laughs> they, they, right, folks. They heard it. Buy more of Glenn's stuff, uh, and let's get him over to the uh, other side of the pond. Uh, yeah, excellent. Uh, all right, folks. As always, stay healthy. God bless. Hope you dice well, and I will talk with you all tomorrow. Later, see folks. Ya. There you go.